This episode was first published on May 10, 2014. This is episode 20 of Biblically Speaking, a conversational question and answer show with two guys from Millard Community Church in Omaha, Nebraska. If you found us on iTunes, we are on the web at biblicallyspeaking.fm. We're also on Twitter as Two Guys BSN and Facebook as Two Guys BSN. If you found us on the web, please head to iTunes and leave us a review. We appreciate that feedback. Enjoy the show. So today I wanted to ask you about something that I think probably hits close to home for you. And it seems like perhaps your thoughts on this topic has have either changed recently or maybe just kind of honed in. Um, and that is the Bible's recommendations or commands for this age, the Christian's participation and or non-participation in government. And I know you've had you know, some personal dealings with government lately, and feel free yeah, to talk many. about Yeah, many. In fact, if you look at the last couple of years, I've had what you might consider extensive yeah. uh, involvement in government processes. Right. So, yeah, and and uh, so have my views on the leaven of Herod changed? Is that maybe what you're, to what a you're thinking degree, about? And, and, and re- okay, so let's just start with what the Bible says explicitly, and I know there's nuanced things, but... Yeah, you know, when it comes to exactly telling us what to do, yeah, the Bible intentionally, right? I mean, the Bible is written for all Christians in every country mm-hmm. throughout this entire age. Right. So what the Bible says has to apply to the medieval Christian, you know, in you know, oppressed yeah. England before, you know, 1066. So so where were the Christians in that time? So, for example, what was the Christian outlook? Those who somehow found their way to the Scriptures, you know, which would which would be few, right? Mm -hmm. Somehow found their way to the Scriptures. And, for example, in 1066, what were they thinking about this whole Magna Carta movement? Just for example, I know that probably lost a lot of people in history there because this America might have lost many of them in geography because England's that little country over there that used to run this one. You may have lost me on the Magna Carta issue. You know, okay, so put yourself, you know, if you can, into that kind of situation and— so where am I? I'm in England. In you're, the you're, ten, yeah, you're in England. It's it's 1060. Oh, it's 1059. Okay. Whatever. There's a there's a topic on the table of you know we need to emancipate people from this system of things. This whole Lord Vassal peasant thing is mm-hmm. is oppressive. We, you know we are feeling the oppression of government. When I look into the scriptures, I'm supposed to pray for the government that we would be able to be productive and peaceful. And this is not it. And, you know, we, we, we know that they don't hold a sword in vain, but within the limited scope, maybe, so maybe I'm a, a peasant and I know this, and the, all that I can do is go when we meet with the, the brothers, however they did it, right? Because I have, maybe I got in touch with the scripture, but I'm a peasant. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, being a peasant, I'm in touch with the scripture. Among the believers with whom I meet, I'm the leader because I know the Word of God, and they, you know, that the leader has to. So, 
So there's vassals. Maybe, you know, vassals attend, right? What's We're a teaching vassal? Vassals, the guy we report to. He okay. reports to the Lord. We report to the vassal. So he's like a priest. He's like a free man without property, kind of. Okay. Okay? We have a whole different... You understand, you know, okay, the Magna Carta came in and we had a whole new social structure. Okay? In the English-speaking world. And, and, and because they were the world leader, right? I mean, they're like the ESPN of their time. And so... You know, that spread throughout, and the sun never went down, the British Empire, and it, you know, grew and grew and grew mm-hmm. for a thousand, you know, not quite a thousand years, because look at them now, they're a social welfare state, like we're becoming quickly. So, yeah, so 800 years or so. Yeah, and then, and then, you know, uh, what if you were in the time of Jonathan Edwards here? You're in, you know, you're in the, you're in the Great Awakening. Yeah. You know, and you're, it's 1760, and you're not getting a lot of Bible doctrine, but at least you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're saved, right? And you're, you know, maybe maybe you do get in touch with the scriptures again, and while you're not a Puritan and you're not a Quaker and you're certainly not an Anglican, and you know you you're not going to live in Maryland because that's where all the Roman Catholics are, and you're thinking about the scriptures and the government, and there's this energy about you know what we need to be free from England. We don't want that whole church-state thing that they push. Uh, you know, we want to be free man, free men over here, and work our land and be left alone. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, you're a Christian at that time. Do you do you have nothing to say about that? Do you, is it really? I mean, God put you in there, and that you have nothing to say so, about it. I mean, what's the message then? Well, you're going to talk to your people, and you're going to tell them, well, you're going to, you know, God will work in your sympathies and in your conscience. And blessed is the man who whose conscience doesn't condemn him in the thing that he does. So I mentioned those kind of circumstances yeah. because the Bible has to speak right into those things, right? Right. The Bible's to not this 21st century document. Huh? It has to make as much sense to that guy in 1000 AD as it does to me right now. Yeah, I mean, you have to assume that he knows what you know, which he probably didn't, actually, because yeah. societies do evolve, uh, species don't, or devolve, what we might but say. But if he had access to the scriptures, he could have known the same thing yeah. that we can know. He, oh, so assuming he knows what I know, and he's in his time, he yeah. looks at the, you know, and then he begins to see that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and he's scratching his head, and he goes, wow, the mystery of lawlessness has now been at work for 1,800 years almost. Mm-hmm. So he comes up against lawlessness, and, and, and preachers always come up against lawlessness. I mean, there's the bad cop, there's the bad mayor, there's the bad judge, there's... Lawlessness is able to be seen. Okay. And, and what do you do with lawlessness? Now, the Scripture says you don't resist evil, which means you take the abuse that you're given, you do that, that's the way of the cross, you take the abuse. In other words, let's say an attorney from the city treats you just terribly all the time, slanders you, uh, tries to destroy your reputation so you have no credibility around or all that kind of... That's just a, that just suggests that maybe that could happen. Okay. That's and a stretch. Uh, That's a stretch. Now, well, now, what are you to do? Well, you're not to resist the evil. So there's no sense whining about it, complaining about it. It's going on. But it doesn't mean you don't notice, and it doesn't also mean you don't do anything about it. What it means is you don't go attack that person. You don't go, you know, beat him up or try to destroy him mm-hmm. because that that's not what's going on. What actually is going on, you look at the scripture, is that 
in this aspect of the government that you behold, wicked spirits have moved upon these people, the powers of the rulers of the darkness of this world. You know, we're given the book of Ephesians to understand the true environment that we operate in. It's a spiritual war. And how can you conduct yourself? Now you also have to assess who am I and what, how did God make me, what, what, what am I to do? What am I to do in the way he's made me? You know, a lot of times people get very dissatisfied with the way they're made, like I am very dissatisfied with myself. I live in a dissatisfied with myself point of view every second of every minute of every day, and I can't remember when it was really all that different. And people go, wow, you've done a lot of things, you've achieved. That is not my point of view. People were shocked. I saw an interview one time with Bill Gates, and shall I double name drop that I've met him a few times? No. And uh, uh, and his and his associate Steve Ballmer and I became like friends for a day. But uh, let me say that uh, when they interviewed him, they go, well, "What drives you?" you know, he, I think he wrote a book called Drive. Was it called Hard Drive? I don't know. <laughs> People read it at the time. That would be corny. It, I th- but it was corny. Okay. Yeah. And he, you know, so he's a nerd. Was the guy, drive. The guy's a nerd. I mean, right. okay, who cares what I think? He's a nerd and you're name dropping him. So yeah. there you go. They're, I'm like worse <laughs> than a nerd. Yeah. So, of course, and that's my viewpoint anyway. <laughs> they asked him, well, what, what, what makes you tick? And he said, fear. He said, fear. Now, why would you be afraid when you've got billions of dollars in this massive company with untold profits and mm. just a spectacular financial story in the history of America. Yeah. And because there's no comfort in those things. I mean, what's his... every day he was afraid that some, you know, guy like him come up and uproot him dropping out of MIT or Harvard or wherever they happen to be. And next thing you know, there's Facebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, his fears were, they were legitimate, but people, you know, don't look at that. Well, okay. So who you are, you know, you bring to the table and you go like, well, am I the one to do anything? For example, my, my approach. I'll just yeah. tell you how my approach was to government. I sought to inform the proper authorities in the government itself that there was a serious problem of law and lawlessness that needed to be addressed. And, and I, may I sit with you and talk? In fact, the, one of the first things I did, not the exact first thing, the first thing I did was I went to the mayor of the city and said, you know, I'll talk to his assistant and said, Look, this is what's going on. Mm. And he acted very concerned. And then he began to break appointments and never talk to me again. When you see that kind of behavior, you think, oh, my goodness, you know, this is actually worse than I thought, because not only is it going on, but when I try to tell somebody that it's going on, they no longer want to talk to me. Now you're led, you know, into the soup of things. But let me back off a little bit and tell you that, you you know, you get led into things by evaluating what happens. Mm-hmm. My brother likes to say you throw a you throw a rock down an alley. It's just something you do, but when you hear a noise, somebody yells, ouch, you might walk down the alley and see what's going on. I wasn't exactly rocked down the alley. I was unnerved and disturbed by, you know, lawlessness that was harmful to people that couldn't help themselves. And I thought, why does this come to me? Mm-hmm. Who am I? Well, I'm a guy that actually does know how to do a little something about this. So when I try to tell you my thoughts about government involvement, yeah. it not only has to do with circumstance, 
It also has to do with you. Who are you? Yeah. How do you fit into the... What can I do? You know, what has God, God called me to do? Yeah. Right? Now, I can tell you that one thing that God has enabled me to do, one thing that I realize at this stage of my life now, that I can do uh, in a way that, that other people, I think, should be able to do but don't do, is I can take a lot of abuse. I can take a lot of personal abuse. Uh, people can call me names. People can do things against me. People can come after me. It, it's not that it doesn't impact me, and it not, it's not that it isn't actually destroying me health-wise and stuff like that, but I can live with it. Mm-hmm. I can live with it. And uh, I'm not, I don't seek it, but I often find that when it comes to me, because I'm doing the right thing, that I'm actually standing for God. And I, I see where you might say that my, you know, as a preacher, that's what I'm a preacher. That's what I am. I am a preacher. Mm-hmm. I am not defined by my either my listeners or my potential listeners. Explain that. What are you trying to say? What I mean by that is that if I'm God's servant and God's appointed me to preach, I'm to look to God for what I do. Mm-hmm. And not look to for 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 hearers or adherents. I mean, that's the principle of scripture. You know, it, you, well, you look at that's global, right? It doesn't matter. I mean, universal and if global you're a preacher, or if you're a peasant, or if you're a. Uh, you mean looking worker. for the approval of man? Well, I mean, you should look to God for always what you to do, and you shouldn't be. Uh, but the reason I say that I don't do this is because, you there, first of all, there's a huge temptation to do that very thing, and secondly, it is common currency that that's what's done. Okay. You look for listeners, hearers, right? You build your following. That's what you do. You know, you're a preacher. You're you're supposed to go build a following. See, right? We're doing a we're doing a podcast. Yeah. We do that because I want to get my my message out there. You want to get yours and my message out there. We have the same message, and uh, we want to get it out there. All right, but we can't allow right that to define what we say, what to we think, who we are. Message. Yeah, but there's a temptation there. Let's admit it. There's a temptation to mold your message to tell the people what they want to hear, bring the people back to hear again. Yeah, let's just say it that way. So maybe that means it's it's not what you say; it's what you're not saying. That's the tension a preacher faces at all times. Now it's been a lot of years, so. I, I ought to be, if I'm not the voice of experience, I just shut up and not be a voice at all, right? <laughs> okay. Because, you know, I'm bringing experience. Romans chapter 5, you know, supposed to get experience. Yeah. Tribulation brings patience. Patience brings experience. That's what it says. So patient continuing in tribulation is what experiences every believer in whatever avenue they're in. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. My patient experience yeah is in taking this kind of abuse. So you are, uh, it's as if you are fit for the work, which would make Created sense. Created, you formed for my you. mother's womb, as Paul said. Yeah. Warts and all. And uh, also, you know, in my whole life, I have succeeded in not just speaking, right, which I have succeeded in speaking, but there's there are a lot better speakers than me. But I have succeeded in speaking, but I have su- succeeded in competitive speaking, and uh, debates and stuff like that. Proper, proper like actual debates. Public argumentation. Yeah, pu- public argumentation. And you should know by now. You've known me for what decade? Mm-hmm. 
when I come to a conclusion, I usually can bring it pretty forcefully and pretty completely. And also, when I've come to a conclusion, because I read the scriptures, when I go into court, there's no match for me in there. Now, I know that may sound boastful, but our courts compared to the scriptures, our law compared to the scriptures, this is like comparing uh, Major League Baseball to slow pitch. There's no comparison. I mean, as Jim Rome once said, anytime you can drink beer and play the game at the same time, it's not a sport. And so he took out bowling and, and uh, golf and Slow pitch, slow pitch softball, you know, or all, you know. So, but anyway, anyway, the point is that you know the, the scriptures are so powerful, and when you read the scriptures for many, many years, and you let the scriptures dwell in you richly, mm-hmm. and you learn that you really can meditate in His law day and night. I know, I know that you know that seems impossible, and so it's hyperbole, and it is hyperbole, but it is also actually possible. The scriptures are always on your mind. Now, after patient continuance and experience when it comes to judging right and wrong. You've been having something that doesn't merely judge right and wrong, but divides asunder between that which is soulish and that which is spiritual. Yeah, your senses are exercised to do that. And your senses are exercised. They're trained uh, to discern good from evil, and you can root out evil, logically speaking. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you can actually do anything about it. So, let me just say now, there's the scriptures that give me freedom. There's who I am that leads me to what I should do. Mm-hmm. And then there is the time frame and circumstance in, in which I live. So those three things are how we discern and follow the will of God. And let me say, I'm, I'm like every Christian who wants to know God's will. Mm-hmm in that I have doubts and difficulties and problems with that, and I get slapped about. And I know when I don't do God's will, for sure. It's much easier to discern when you're not doing God's will than when you are. Because when you are doing God's will, you are in the fury of battle and the fog of war. Mm -hmm. It is now very dark. And the closer you get to the throne, you know, darkness enshrouds God. The closer you get to God, the darker it gets before it gets really bright. And uh, the fog of spiritual war is no different than the fog of, of any war. And it, confusion reigns. And in that environment, you're, you're thrown, when it becomes a spiritual war and it's not merely a technical problem, when it's a technical problem, it goes away. When it's a spiritual war, these conditions begin to develop. And now it's not only the issue you're addressing, but the way that the other side is addressing it is even more lawless, more illegal, more personal, more terrible. Yeah. And you begin to become appalled. And your righteous indignation begins to take hold. And now your conscience is strengthened despite the fact that your certainty becomes limited. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, so let me just... Your resolve becomes more mm-hmm. despite the, the clarity of all things necessarily becoming, becoming sharper. So if I could summarize mm-hmm. your point, and maybe this I don't want to belittle the complexities of what you just said, but in the purest sense of the term, government... 
governmental participation for a Christian is subjective insofar as the subject, whether it be you or me, and the context of that person's life, who that person is, and what God has brought into their life specifically dictates what that person should or should not do. Yes, and sometimes, by the way, the environment in which you should do those things is an environment when those closest to you go, what are you doing that for? Now, now, doctrinally and fellowship-wise, as Christians, well, of course, we must make room for the liberty of all. Huh? Yeah, right. But it's difficult when you might not even agree, without getting into the boring details, as you know. I have obtained a restraining order against the city of Omaha for certain lawlessness, and I'm pursuing more of it, more restraining orders, because the lawlessness is so incredibly deep. And uh, this is a sad thing, probably means the Christians in Omaha aren't praying enough, uh, because darkness and wicked, the rulers of the darkness of this world can't get hold where Christians pray. Of course, we also know the community in which we live in, how resistant it is to the Scriptures. And I, I, you know, I'm saying this on the air, so or you know, for record, because others also live in those communities. You know, this is what our nation is becoming. Our nation is becoming not unchristian, but anti-Christian. It's so obvious that way that my Jewish friends say America should be a Christian nation. Well, my Jewish friends, really, say that. yes, and and uh, it's not going to be. the The fact that it was overwhelmingly once was is totally irrelevant. This is not the same country. This is a very different country. You know, I, I, I'm finding out that our rights... The problem with this is that, that people will jump aboard what I'm saying now instead of the Scriptures. That's the worry about the leaven of Herod. But I'm not insensitive to the fact that our God-given rights in writing and the law are being completely annihilated. And you know, it's a, uh, here we are out in Nebraska, and a lot of times we say, well, those guys in Washington have always been crazy, but that's not where it's happening. It's happening right here, not just in the state, but it's happening right here in the hometown, the biggest city in the state. But, yeah, it's happening right here. It's also happened at the state level. And that's something you can actually do something about by being now, and here's where I think you, because you know, you've heard me talk about I. I want to start the Salt and Light Society. You've heard me talk about that. In yeah. fact, in my mind, I have already started the Salt and Light yeah, Society because... Member of one, membership of one. Membership of one and growing. <laughs> yeah. Membership of one there. and growing. <clears throat> yeah, I'd like to see somebody show so up what's and join your, it. what's your pitch? My pitch is we're not just the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth. You know, sometimes you got to be salt. you got to preserve what is the environment whereby we can proclaim. Hmm. We, we have an environment where we're free to proclaim. Now, I proclaim in that environment, right? I mean, I teach. I use my First Amendment rights, and I have my whole life. You know, not everybody's a street preacher, but I am. I was a street preacher. And uh, these very people that I now, the judges that I talk to in court, I mean, one judge that used to come by regularly and mock me as I preached on the street corner. He was a city prosecutor, and he was a guy from my old high school. That guy went on to be a judge and has retired as a judge. So this is a <laughs> I'm a longstanding voice mm -hmm. in, and, in and around those folks and characterized as a, as a crazy. Uh, that's fine. But now it's all these years later. It's 30 years later, right? I've got 36 grandkids. 
They're amazing. I've had success in business, some amazing successes here and abroad. And God's blessing on my life has been really obvious to them. And when I go into court, I have more wisdom than any law instructor because I take heed to God's word. So being salt is being yourself and laying your life down, laying your life down. You know, every signer of the Declaration of Independence, you know, some would say, well, they weren't Christians. Well, they believed in God. They were all, what can we call, honorable honorable men. They're all honorable men. Some Christians, some not. Some Christians, some deists, you know, some... But, but all honorable men who all went broke. Every one of them. They all went broke. Now, they, laid it, they laid it all down. They laid their lives down for, yeah. their, for their friends. So let me take the other side of this and say, sure. you know, we do have, is there a line? Is there, what is this leaven of Herod and what's the danger? And how can we avoid going too far and really, you know, putting our hope kind of in this age? Well, this, that's, I actually think that's pretty simple. What process are you are you going by? What process do you do you follow? Let let me tell you as I've pursued these things because I'm Bible guy and I'm seeing lawlessness and I'm pointing it out. Do you know that it's politically unpopular with every faction of of the Herodians? Every faction of the Herodians. I do not have one person from the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, which is pretty much you know, the Herodian crowd, or the Tea Party, which is emerging crowd, mm-hmm. I didn't have one person that will stand with me. Not one. Why is that? Because I'm doing what God wants, and the Republicans hate that, and the Democrats hate that, <laughs> and the Tea Party hates that. You see, because... What the, about the so-called, like, Christian, you know, political groups? The Christian political groups are either Republicans or Tea Parties, mm-hmm. pretty much. When I tell a Republican I think I'd be a Democrat before I'd be a Republican, it's like, how could you? Well, I don't. I, they have every principle wrong. They have all the wrong principles. I have no doubt about that. But you guys have no principles. So, you know, I'm a principled person. You know, agape, right? Yeah. The love that we're to have yeah. is principled love. And it's self-sacrificial love. You go take the bullet when, you know, it's aimed at your friend. And I, I began these activities because whereas I was personally impacted, it was a minimal impact for me. I mean, I had the means to overcome the obstacles that were be, being throw, thrown in the way of poorer or less able people, and, but I still found it offensive. And so I took it on. You know, this is unlawful. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is plainly unlawful. Took it to the attorneys of the city. This is plainly unlawful. Would you please give me your opinion how this could be lawful? Yeah, and they, they would not. They would not respond and began to you know shut me out and slander me. So let me ask you this: as salt, salt, and what as is it? People who are trying to preserve um, a certain way or a certain level of morality, or what? What exactly is salt preserving? Well, we don't want to turn into a pillar of it. <laughs> right. Let me start out there. Okay. So remember Lot's wife, whose right. heart was in the world. Right. Salt is a preservative, right? Salt is what halted westward expansion in America until some salt mines were discovered. I think they're in Virginia. People were not equipped to be able to carry food long distances. Couldn't make the hardtack, right? Your beef jerky. Couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Today, of course, you can load up on some 
what is it, Jack Link's tenderloin jerky? Oh, those are pretty good. You know, carry it for days and days. You could uh, microwave and seal meat and probably carry it for years if you radiated it correctly. The you know, Just take a Twinkie. That thing well, be- you know, the Twinkies got, right, they, they, were, <laughs> they were sold out, right? Hostess got sold. Oh, they yeah. brought the Twinkie back. But the point is, Amazing salt, value, though. salt is the preservative of dead flesh. Now, the scriptures say where the dead body is, that's where the vultures gather. And we've talked about that a little bit, right? We've yeah. seen the vultures. Right. This world is a dying thing. I, I, I personally think the dead body is technically going to be Israel in the last days. But, but the whole world is dead meat. We could just say it that way. And uh, it, without salt, first you pack the meat in salt and you draw all the blood out of it. That's what you do. You encase it in salt and uh, draw all the blood out of the meat. And then now the meat is preserved because <clears throat> the blood is taken out of it. Now, our spiritual enemy wants to create, you know, our spiritual enemy is moving against whole nations. He's not just moving against you. He's moving against entire nations. He's co-conspiring to become the king of the whole world himself, right? He wants to be king of kings and lord of lords. That's his ambition. That's his goal. That's his agenda. Mm. That's what he's about doing. When the scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, remember that that is what he's doing. And and if we're the salt of the earth, right, when the salt loses its saltiness, then it's just a bunch of dirt, you know, it's to be trampled under the feet of men. It's, it's no longer to be held in any esteem or paid any attention to. As long as we are the salt of the earth, we should be the salt of the earth, and we should preserve everything good that we can. We should be those who advise always in the right direction. And when our advice is not sought, that's an indicator of decay, by the way, when our advice is no longer sought. Sometimes we need to bring our advice along our citizen rights. So let me ask you this. Wouldn't, as salt and as advisors, we all be a lot more effective if we were just in office? No. Why not? Now I think you're talking about... Preserve When you say all of us, shouldn't yeah. we all be? Let me, let me, let me first say this. Yeah. No preacher should be, I think. I mean, I think you're going to have to quit preaching if you're going to do that. Why is that? What's the... Uh, if you're talking about elected office? Yeah. Just because you won't get elected unless you uh, advice or something? No, no. I don't think you're disqualifying yourself from election by being a preacher. I think you're disqualifying yourself as a preacher by getting elected. Uh, why is that? Um, because you have a different role and a thing to do now. You know, if you get elected, you, you have to do what you're supposed to do, what, what that calls for. And that doesn't call for preaching. It just doesn't. Yeah, but what if you make your living doing that, and then you preach when you're not doing that? Well, I don't see elected offices the same as I do a job. Maybe that's where there's a huge conflict. Aren't there pretty decent salaries nowadays for elected offices? Oh, yeah, you could definitely afford to preach. If you were a congressman, for example, you could afford it. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't think you could do it. I think you're an ambassador uh, for Christ. That's, That's what you are. And... No ambassador can be part of another government. That's just, you would be called home right. You'd lose your ambassadorship immediately. The ambassador to Kenya should not uh, become the deputy governor of Embu County. So let's move outside of preachers and say Christians. Well, I think there again, you know, I think there's, I wouldn't do it, but I think I'd preach pretty strongly for the freedom to. You know, we talked about 
these three environment these three considerations about mm-hmm. God's will, right? Who you yeah. are, what the Bible says, and what are the circumstances? And I've got my hands full with mine. And so, you know, now you, now you have to t- ask me, really reduce your question quite a bit further and say, is it sin to hold office? No. Yeah. So, but it might be sin for you because all that does not proceed from faith is sin. So again, it's subjective in that sense. My role, it's subjective, but but I can test, I can test those three things. I can test... With you, you talking? Let's say, Jared, you say to me, "Hey, I, you know, I'm going to run for city council." Yeah. Well, first I'd say, "Well, you see that in the scripture? Do you have freedom to do so?" Yeah. Okay. So we have that conversation. Then you say, "Well, you really think that's you?" And you go, "Well, yeah. I mean, I'm a guy that I can, you know, I get elected. I think I can really do some stuff. And mm-hmm. I'd really shake things up, or whatever you think, or I'll keep things like they are real well, or whatever, whatever you think." And then I go, well, is it even possible for you to? Look, you don't live in the city. You can't run for city council. Or you're building your house, you moron. <laughs> so, uh, well, let's assume somebody is uh, actually. Oh, it's a- not Jared? Yeah. yeah, well, see, now, okay, I don't know. Because I, I, like, I well, used you because I know you. Right. Right? You and have to I, know the person before you. Before, yeah, because it's those advise, three. Of course, if they're asking for your advice. But what if they're just, you know, a Christian guy running for office? I had a congress. I, I had a guy ask me the very question. Uh, hey, I want to. St- he, I was at a particular. I was at an award luncheon where I was where I won an award in, in business. And uh, this guy called me over and he said, "Hey, I'd like your advice." I go, I, "Why? You know, why? Well, you know, I heard your Bible guy. I'm a Christian, and I'm thinking about running for Congress." And I asked him a few questions, and he answered him. And I said, "No, nah, I don't think you should run," because I, you know, I got to know him enough where you know these these three things. But he he did run, and he won. And he got reelected, and he mm-hmm. lost his wife, and you know, just everything fell apart on him. So, I, I advise. I would advise. I mean, I mean, I'm, I have the scriptures, and you know, of course, uh, you know, I try to bring, you know bring somebody to to God's will on the matter. But, but I actually think that uh, part of laying your life down is foregoing real opportunities and income and friendship and all kinds of nice things in life in order to to do what you're conscientiously called to do, to oppose, you know, not resist evil, but to oppose it is a very different thing, but, but to oppose it and, and to try to bring light in dark places. And let me tell you something, the city councils, the city halls, the courtrooms all around America are becoming very, very dark places, very dark places. And and then here's the other thing, Jared. You know, you don't always know how you reach people. You don't always know. I mean, you can map down a plan and say, here's how I'm going to reach people. I'm going to do these weekly podcasts and put them on biblicallyspeaking.fm so that people can go to that on Facebook and click like because that really helps it get out there. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't like us, click like. And then even say something on the website, type in a comment like, you know, you guys are idiots. That will still help us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just that little pitch. But you don't always know how you reach people. So the best thing to do, and really the only thing to do, is to be filled with what? The knowledge of his will. To learn to proceed with God's approbation. To listen to men, right? But not require their approbation. And that 
I'd say that's an advanced lesson in Scripture. If you say I've revised my view on political involvement, fair enough. I've learned more. But I have to tell you that what I'm doing, where I'm trying to stop lawlessness of government, not very good political involvement if you want to get anywhere. If you want to get anywhere politically, don't do what I'm doing. You'll never get, you won't get elected to anything. Mm. Yeah. And I'm not, of course, you know, I'm not trying to.